So about 11, well, now 12 years ago, Pastor Chad and Yvonne came from Northwest Church in Federal Way, and they planted Life Spring. And Chad and Yvonne were the faithful senior pastors here for 11 years, brought Life Spring through four locations, which is incredible. That's unheard of. That's amazing. And in so many ways, the fact that we even have a place to have doors to be able to open them is because of their faithfulness and what they had done uh, through um, just their dedication to see this thing through. And uh, I, I'm very humbled to have him here today. He is my mentor. I've learned so much from him. Uh, Mary and I are both grateful for their tutelage and everything they've taught us. We had lots of meetings at their house where we just had honest discussions, honest dialogue about hopes and fears, and a lot of tears, uh, even yelling probably, uh, just a mix of emotions. Because being a senior pastor, even being a pastor, it can be hard at times. And uh, we had to walk through a lot of those things. But because of Chad's uh, mentorship and just... And work on my life, I, I'm a better person for it. And so I know each one of you probably has a certain, uh, a certain story similar to mine of how Chad has influenced your life in such a powerful and, and effective way. And so with that in mind, can we channel that into an appreciation of applause as we welcome Chad, Pastor Chad, up to the stage. Well, the last time I was here, I think it took three or four boxes of Kleenex. So far, I'm just starting with this one. If you're a kid with us today, um, you don't have to listen to him talk. So you're released to go to a kid's church. I do that all the time on Sunday. I do. Well, it is absolute uh, privilege to be here, I've um, been really looking forward to this. To say that is, is really an understatement. Um, just giddy to be able to come back. Last time I spoke here, I don't remember much except a lot of snot. <laughs> I do. But I want you to just go with me for just a minute. Imagine... If next Sunday you came here and your entire senior leadership team was not here, they were gone. Imagine if the entire music team, all the people who had played instruments or sang a note, were not here. Imagine if the whole children's ministry team, when you came in that next Sunday, wasn't there to take care of your kids and to lead them to Jesus. What if you came in next Sunday and there was no one to make the coffee, no one at the front door to greet you, but you came, you and about a couple dozen folks, and you looked around and you thought, where did everybody go? What happened? That was the environment the church that we took in Clarkston, Washington, Life Center, Foursquare Church. And so our heart broke for a church that had been abandoned, sheep without a shepherd. But I got to tell you, some absolutely amazing people. I, one thing I've learned is that there are 
people that love Jesus, no matter what, at LifeSpring, at Life Center Clarkston, all over the world. And I told the Lord something. Be careful when you tell the Lord things. I said, I'm never going to plant another church again. No. Yeah. We are a year into it, and it's an incredible blessing. But here's the deal. It's, no, it's not in any small part, a huge part, because of Life Spring Foursquare, Edgewood, Washington. Here's why. You may or may not know this, but the first six months that we went, you sent us as missionaries. Um, you guys paid our entire salary because this church had no people, no money. I had a few people, and there was a little bit of offering. Let me give you a perspective of their finances when we got there. I saw a program from almost a year ago, from August, and their offering that week was $697. I'm sure one of you gave that much this morning, or at least this month. That was our whole offering in a room full of a 20,000 square foot building with an 11,000 a month mortgage, $2 million in debt, $697. And a year later, because you seeded the money, the resource for Yvonne and I to come to Clarkston, they started getting healthy. People started coming to church. Because you sent a missionary. You sent your pastor. And wow. So when the money stopped flowing from LifeSpring to Pastor Chad and Yvonne, you cut me off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because guess what? They were ready. They picked up where you left off. They couldn't wait. In fact, their church council had wanted me to, to take your money and their money from the beginning. And I said, I'm not doing it. Because we want to get healthy. We want to get strong. We've got other things to do. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the building. I don't know what's going to happen with our finances. But I can tell you one thing. A year ago, I wasn't sure if there was a church that was going to remain, whether there was a building or not. I am convinced today that there is a healthy church ready to go and to take Clarkson by storm. People ask me, how are things going at LifeSpring? And my answer is this, disappointingly well. <laughs> Disappointed that, you know what? The whole worth doesn't stop rotating just because you check out, dude. <laughs> and extremely well, and it's what I expected, because I know your pastor Dan and Mary and the leadership team here, Randy and... Adam and, and all the rest. You guys are absolutely amazing. I have, one of the reasons I could leave was because I knew there was not going to be a hiccup for one minute. And I'm so thankful for all the stuff I hear coming out of here. You know, when you sent us 
Not only did resource multiply there, but I've heard how resource has been multiplied here. Do you see what happens when you give? It's just, wow. They've told me about the finances coming and where it's going and being able to hire people and be able to release ministries. And you guys are off and running. And I just absolutely love it. And Yvonne and I, this morning, are in tears of joy. Because there's a satisfaction of being a part of family. The one thing we don't have yet there is the depth of decades of relationship that we have here. We can talk and have a conversation and remember something that happened five years ago and, and laugh. And only you and I know about it. When I do that over there, I'm having a conversation about an inside joke that happened last week. <laughs> I'm going with it, though. This morning, I want to talk to you about being fearless. I want to talk to you about being fearless. And one of the things I want you to be fearless about is loving your pastor. Dan will be upset that I'm going to tell you this, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and dudes, you appreciate them. They love you, and they serve you, and they aren't doing it for the money. Dan and Mary are the kind of folks that would do this for free. I know, because I hired them for free. <laughs> I'm not joking. When Pastor Dan came here, I said, uh, when he said yes, I thought he was just joking almost, because there was no promise of a salary. There was a promise that if I can get you one, I'll get you one. But he saw something. He saw the, something that the Lord was doing. And that's the kind of pastor that serves you. Not because of what's in the offering basket, but because of what the Lord is putting in his heart. And so they go where Jesus goes, and that's the kind of pastor you want leading you. Amen? Amen. And Dan is fearless. Mary is fearless. This team is fearless. And I absolutely love that about the team here. You guys are difference makers. I want to talk to you about the importance of that. There's four basic human needs this morning I want to talk about. Number one is this. Everybody has this desire to be loved. We all have this inside desire to be loved. We have this desire to love. We have this desire to, to know other people and to, to be known, to, to, to reveal ourselves to other people. There's another need that we all have deeply within our soul, and that is this. That is, we all want to make a difference. We all want to make a difference. We want to know that at the end of our lives, that there was something, some reason I mattered while I was here. That when we check out, we think, you know what? That's why I was here. I got to be a part of that. I got to be a part of something special. My fault, you know, most of my stories started with my five older brothers. And that's one of these stories. My five older brothers saw that there was a, a problem, a situation that needed correcting. And it was this, that their youngest four-year-old brother, it was a, an affront to the family name that he did not know how to swim yet. That was me. That no man in the family could be four years old and not know how to swim. That was just embarrassing, that the Skilperort name. So when mom wasn't looking... They hushed one another, okay, don't tell mom. They took my water wings off. Threw me in the deep end of the pool and said, Chad, swim.
Now, I don't know when mom found out. I don't know if it was when the paramedics arrived. No, there were no paramedics. But you know what happened is I did learn to swim that day. Terrified. You see, my brothers had a vision. And that is the ability to look at a situation that is, that is not right and to do something about it. And they put that vision into action, and I learned how to swim that day. And I ask you this morning, what do you see in your life, in your church, in your community, in your school, in your workplace, in your marriage, whatever? What do you see that needs a difference to be made? Dream for me for a minute. Or dream with me for a minute. What kind of difference do you want to make? I'm just talk to the students for just a minute. Before you graduate, how will your school be different because you were there? Teachers, how will your school, how will your students be different because you were there to teach them, to encourage them? To business owners, how will your employees' lives be different because you were there to employ them? Parents, how will your children's lives be different because you were there to lead them and to mold them and to guide them? To the seniors in the room, those of us who have a little more gray hair, you have an incredible heritage. But how will your legacy be different because of how you invest the autumn and the winter of your years? You see, the Lord Jesus calls us to make a difference. And when he calls us to make a difference, he's not just calling us to make any random difference. He's calling us to make a very specific difference. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus took his disciples aside. And he had them give them a pep talk because he was sending them out on a short-term missions trip. It says he called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then skipping to verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the, the, any town of the Samaritans. Instead, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely, you have been uh, given, freely, uh, freely receive, uh, freely give. This is Jesus' message to his disciples. And I believe it's his message to us this morning as he's calling us to make a difference. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me as we ask the Lord's blessing? Lord, would you open your word to us? Speak to our hearts. Lord, Lord, challenge us. Strike out fear that we would make the difference that you've called us to make. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You ready? Here we go. As Jesus is uh, having this talk with his disciples, it's as if he's saying, you know what, guys? I got some good news and I got some bad news. Here's the good news. Disciples, you're going to make a huge difference. You're going to make a huge difference in the lives of many people. I'm sending you out away now from your holy huddle. You've had enough teaching, enough training. You've seen enough miracles. And Jesus just told them this. He said, look, he told them where they should go. He said, start serving right here among your own people. Right here at home. In Judea is what he said. 
And then he told them what to do. He said, proclaim a message and then provide a ministry. He gave them a message and he gave them a ministry. Understand this. When God calls us to make a difference, he gives us those two things. He gives you a message and he gives you a ministry. You see, if he gives you a ministry without a message, all you've got is good works. A social club. It's not bad. It's just not kingdom work yet. If he gives you a a message without any uh, ministry or service to provide, all you are is a a clanging symbol, a loud noise, just a bunch of words, empty religion. He's given you, Lifespring, Foursquare Church, a ministry and a message. And so the the, the good news to summarize this, he's just saying, look, you're going to make a difference. But I think the reason for the talk was for to tell them to tell these guys, hey, you know what? I got some bad news too. Here's the bad news. Verse 17. Be on your guard against men. They'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. I don't look. I look around. And I don't think that any of us have been flogged lately. You know, maybe you were as a kid. I don't know. But in verse 22, it says, all men will hate you because of me. Well, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. That could have been the response of the 12 apostles that were listening. He's saying, you know what? Your message is going to stir up controversy. Your ministry, the things that you're going to do are going to frighten some people. They're not going to like it. And you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be treated unfairly. You know, they accused me, Jesus is saying, of of working for Satan. And if they accuse me of that, guess what they're going to accuse you of? Same thing. They're going to say you're crazy. You're nuts. If you want to make a difference in the world, the message and the ministry of Jesus is the biggest difference you can make. But when you begin making that difference for Jesus, there's always going to be people who are threatened by it, who won't understand. And the result is conflict. And when there's conflict, there's fear, and it'll rise up in you. Fear can grip you, it can paralyze you, and it can keep you from the difference that God is trying to make through you. A few minutes ago, I asked you to envision the difference that God is asking you to make, or to envision a circumstance or a situation that is unacceptable in your sphere of influence. Question. What is keeping you from bringing the authority of Christ into that situation? What is keeping you from becoming God's difference maker in that place? And I submit that for most, if not all of us, it's very likely one word, and that is fear. Fear. But what are you afraid of? I deal with fear all the time. Especially when people call me on the phone and they say, hey, your church building might be sold. Pray for me. Because I deal with those phone calls every other week. Hallelujah, the building isn't, isn't sold yet. I'm asking the Lord to, to give it to us. To let us keep it. I don't know what the Lord has planned for us. I know what people have told me. I know what I'm trusting the Lord for. And except I just know that God has called me to to build the church. And that's the people. And I'm going to let God take the difference with whatever resource he has for us. 
What are you afraid of? You see, by definition, a follower of Jesus Christ has everything that he or she needs to become a difference maker. Because you have Jesus. And he's all you need. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is all you need to make the difference that he's calling you to make? If so, would you just nod your head? Now, I heard some agreement there. I used to be in sales, so I'm going to close the sale. And I want to invite you to personalize what you've just agreed to. And it's just to say this, that, that because I have Jesus, I have everything I need to make a difference for Jesus. And I want to invite you to just say that back to me. If you believe it, I don't want you to feel manipulated by this at all. But I, I think in your heart you agree with this statement. But there's something about bringing these things out on our lips that holds us accountable to the things that we've said. And so if you agree with me, would you just repeat after me? Because I have Jesus, I have everything I need to make a difference for Jesus. So here's what Jesus is saying to you. Be on your guard. Be careful. Not to be poisoned with fear. Because fear is going to come. And so if you want to make a difference maker, here's the big idea that we're looking at this morning. It's just this, that difference makers are fear breakers. Difference makers are for our fear breakers. And there's four basic fears that we need to address this morning. Number one is the fear of discomfort, the fear of discomfort. Difference makers aren't comfort seekers. They are kingdom seekers. They are kingdom seekers. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could cure world hunger Wearing nothing more than your pajamas, sitting in nothing else other than your recliner and the remote control. Wouldn't that be great? It just doesn't work that way. In verse 9, Jesus said this. He said, do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Jesus is essentially saying to his disciples and to us this morning is this, that it's not about what you bring with you on the journey. It's about who you trust along the way. Because remember, where he guides, he what? He provides. Say that. Where he guides, he provides. He does. Come on, you know I love to fish, right? People have accused me of going to Clarkston because of the fishing. As God is my witness, I had no idea there was a river there, that there was fishing there. But as it turns out, where God guides, he provides. I had no idea that God cared about those little things for me. It turns out that all the fish that enter Astoria at our ocean have a suicide conference in Clarkston, Washington. <laughs> They're depressed and suicidal from the long trip, and they just kind of circle around there. And they say, just kill me now. <laughs> it's true. I had no idea. But where God guides, he provides. <laughs> You see, when Jesus tells his disciples, guys, don't overpack for the trip, he's saying this to us. He says, look, don't look for your next meal 
your next paycheck, your next compliment, or your, your next statement of approval. Well done. Hey, good job. He said, don't look for that stuff. He says, just look for your next kingdom opportunity. Students, do you know why you're in school? It's not to get smart. Not if you love Jesus. You say, well, man, why do I spend all that money on student loans and all that? Well, smart is good. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on a secret mission in that classroom with those people on that campus. Your role is not just to be a student. It's the same for wherever you are. Your role isn't necessarily your job, your, your, your classroom, or just even being parents. You are a kingdom worker, someone who God has hired to change the world. If you believe that, would you say amen? When Ray Mayer and I, uh, in 2009, went to El Salvador, we went there to hang out and to go to refugee camps to, to make a difference among the lives of some incredibly poor people. We saw some of the most disadvantaged people I have ever seen in, in my life. People living where their roof was literally something they had got at the city dump. Their walls were just made of plastic. And our host... Pastor Rick Ryan, who spoke here before uh, with Convoy of Hope, he did something awful. He booked us in the Hilton Hotel. And he remember, I remember saying to him, he says, you know, normally when pastors come here, they, we, we put them up in the cheap side of town. He says, but everything was full. The hotel we were at was so nice that he stuck us in. Hillary Clinton had stayed there the night before. And it's as if God was saying to me, Chad, if your goal in life is to stay at the Hilton, you're not going to make a difference in the refugee camp. If your goal in life is to seek comfort, that's what you're going to find. But you won't discover the difference maker God has called you to be. Now, if you're serious about following Jesus, then prepare to have your comfort zone stretched. <laughs> Brother Ray Wright went to Africa. You know that. You sent him. You prayed for him. You sent money for him. And Brother Ray could have said, you know what? I'm too old. How old are you, Ray? 78. You're 78. He goes, I'm 78. I'm too old to go to Africa. In fact, he was almost dead a year before. I know I was there. And he tells me, I looked at him, I said, dude, God ain't done with you yet. I didn't know that God was making a, a difference in him by the stupid thing I thought I had just said as a guy who's in the ICU. Like God is going to make a difference with that nurse who's going to unplug the, the stuff. No, he had a difference to make in Africa. And he said, look, if I don't go now, I may never have the chance. That's not the voice of an old person. That's the voice of a teenager. To the young folks, you, don't, you need to live with that attitude now. Life is short. And He is calling you to make a difference. And you're going to come in contact with... The, the, the fear of, of, of discomfort, the fear of God stretching your 
your boundaries, but also the fear of conflict. The fear of conflict. You see, difference makers aren't conflict avoiders. They are conflict managers. They're conflict managers. You know the definition of a real Christian? I heard this once. I don't know who said it, but I love it. A real Christian, someone who really follows Jesus, is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. And I don't know about the fearless and the cheerful part, but I got that constantly in trouble part figured out pretty good. And Jesus said this in verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. He's saying, look, there's two things to watch out for. Number one, you've got to watch out for conflict. And conflict happens whenever you try to change the status quo. It's when you tell your teenage daughter, she comes down for the dance, dressed, sort of. And dad, you say, you can't go to the dance dressed like that. And what does that teenage daughter say? Dad, thank you for caring about my welfare. Thank you for loving me so much. No! Dad, it's just a, it's just a strapless evening gown. Everyone's going to be wearing them like this. And dad, you say, no, 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 that's not a strapless evening gown. That's a gownless evening strap. Yeah, there's going to be conflict, isn't there? If on your anniversary, husbands, you come home and you give your wife a Jenny Craig membership and a treadmill, (laughs) there's going to be conflict. (laughs) There's also going to be a couch and a pillow and, if you're lucky, a sleeping bag. I look around this room and I see a church filled with amazing leadership. And I'm not just talking about your senior pastor and his wife. I'm talking about all of you. A church of difference makers. And church, you're going to have conflicts here in this place, in your families, in your lives, in your community. You're going to have conflicts. And I've learned something in the few years that I've been alive. I used to be afraid of conflict. Now I love it. Well, sort of. I'm not sure if I love it, but I embrace it because I find that there are windows of opportunity of learning and of discovery. And I want to encourage you to not look at conflict as the thing that is ruining your present, but as something in there is a message from God. Because when you're looking on a kingdom mission, that conflict, God is trying to speak to you in that whirlwind, in that storm. And so your question is, God, what is it that you're trying to tell me here? Notice what Jesus said in verse 11. He said, whatever town or village you enter, search for some some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Now listen, when you're with people that receive you and encourage you and support you, bless them. Love them. Encourage them. They're your buds. They're your brothers and your sisters. They're your pastor. They're your pastor's wife. They're they're your uh, children's ministry director. They're, They're people that you love and are serving with you. Bless them. Bring your peace into their lives, into the situation. This is your invitation to make a difference in their lives. 
But when you're following God's plan, best you know how, you are. You're going to find critical, hurtful people. And in many cases, and this is what Jesus is saying to these disciples. He sent them, I says, get away from them. And then he says, don't forget to pack your peace. Take your peace with you. Hear me, please. Some of you are here today and you've gone through some tremendous hardship, difficult stuff, rejection, abuse, anger, divorce, whatever, fill in the blank. And if you've walked out of that situation, and many of you have, then why are you still so agitated, so anxious, so fearful? Why does when that caller ID show up on your phone, you start to break out into a sweat? And it's this. It's because although you've left the situation, you forgot to take your peace with you. Go back and get it. It's yours. No one can take your peace away from you without your permission. And Jesus is saying, when you have conflict, you're going to have fear. You're going to have people that are going to try to steal your peace. Don't give it to them. Take it with you. Go back and get it. You can give it away, but you can also take it back. When someone rejects you, don't leave it with them. Take it. Take it with you. Because it is yours. It is your rightful heir as a son or daughter of the King of Kings. Amen? So we need to watch for conflict. He says also you've got to protect your peace. There's the fear of rejection. Probably one of the most difficult for us. And he's giving this pep talk to 12 people who are going to leave their families. And many of them are going to be martyred. If Almost all of them. Difference makers aren't people pleasers. They are God pleasers. Verse 28, he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And real people are going to both places. And God wants none of them to go to hell. He wants all of them to go to heaven. You are on a heaven population mission. And as you step forward, though, some people will receive you, reject you. But then Jesus is saying, look, some are going to reject you. They're going to attack you, ignore you, be threatened by you, gossip about you. And when they do that, it hurts, especially when it comes from people that you know and love, people who ought to know better. And when you make a mistake, even though you've pressed head forth, head, headlong in the thing that you wanted to go to, because you felt God was leading you there, and you make a mistake... Those folks are going to come back and say, I told you so. And our initial response is, oh, God bless you. No. That's not our natural response. It needs to be. And it's in these situations we need to remember, and this question needs to be first on our mind, and that is, who am I working for? Who am I working for? It's like Jesus is saying this, that if you're going to be afraid of rejection, then who do you fear most? Rejection by family and friends or somehow being rejected by God? 
Jesus said in verse 32 and 33, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Every day is an opportunity for you to claim Jesus publicly. Now, I've never had my life threatened like these disciples would have. But I remember probably the first most difficult time I experienced that. I was actually in a, in a corporate situation. I was at a corporate meeting before I was uh, in, in full-time ministry. And this corporation that I was with, the Johnson & Johnson Corporation, had this uh, charity. It was their, their pet charity. And they had this charity drive, and their goal was to have everyone participate and give money to this charity. And so my boss brought his, our whole staff together in a room, and he had a list of all the people who'd signed up, and there was one name missing. Me. And he went around the room, and he said, and points me out in front of everybody, Chad, why haven't you signed the list? Because it was making him look bad to his superiors. Because everybody does this. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, aren't you a Christian? And aren't Christians supposed to be generous? Now, I'm not a bumper-sticking, flag-waving, you know, kind of guy. I was just quietly doing my job. But he asked the question, why didn't you sign up? I gave him my answer. I didn't preach. I just told the truth. Sir... That charity funds Planned Parenthood, and they support abortion, and I do not. I choose to give my gifts somewhere else. That was it. But I was a marked man. A religious nut. A Jesus freak. I can deal with that. Because I am. But I felt in that moment incredibly afraid and inadequate, exposed. And that's the fourth fear. That is the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy. Inadequacy says, I don't have what it takes and I'm not ready. I'm not prepared, so I'm not going. And I can tell you for a fact, if you keep that attitude, you will not ever go. Because I can guarantee you, you will never be ready. I was not ready to go to Clarkston. I said yes. And to this day, I'm sometimes terrified about what the future holds. I don't know. But then the Lord reminds me that who's in charge, and I'm not afraid. I look around this room. Just this exercise. Would you do this? Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your left. And I'll look to the person to your right. Now look behind you if there's someone behind you. Now the person in front of you, you might even look at the back of their head. Now I'll ask you this question. You just took a survey of the room. How many of you, just show of hands, saw some real difference makers in this room? How many of you saw some real difference makers? Good. You're right. Next question. Raise your hand. If you feel 
like you've got everything it takes, you're fully qualified to make a difference for God. Raise your hand. A bit fewer of us. Careful, like this is a trick question. You guys are all going... Why the difference? First question, you go, oh, yeah, everyone here is a difference maker. And when I ask it about you, you're like, oh. Why? Because we think, hey, they got what it takes, but not me. That's natural. It's normal. It's human. You think, I'm just not worthy. And Jesus addressed this fear of inadequacy head on with his disciples. He says this, verse 19, when they arrest you, do not worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. At the time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus is saying basically this. He says, look, guys, I know that you're a bunch of uneducated, redneck Galileans. I know you're not eloquent. I know that you're not connected politically. But it's as if he's saying to these guys, look, if you've got me... You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got everything you need for what I've called you to be and to do. That's all you need. You don't need to be a pro. Consider this. Professionals built a Titanic. Amateurs built Noah's Ark. Difference makers, they're not self-reliant. They are God-dependent. They are God-dependent. I want to introduce you to somebody that you don't know. She's not here. Her name is Tammy. Tammy, uh, Tammy Gordon works in Clarkston at the local uh, paper plant, Clearwater Paper Company. She runs some equipment there. Tough lady. Single mom. Loves Jesus. And last spring, we had some small groups get together, and I challenged each of the small groups to do a, an outreach project. And she came up to me and she said, I have an idea. This is what I want to do for my outreach project. They had a small group. There was just three of them. And she says, God has put it on my heart. To give a total stranger my perfectly good kidney. What do you think, Pastor Chad? Now, I tried to talk her out of it. I, I, I'm, I'm, are you mental? I mean, are you unhinged? And I had to actually ask people who knew her, is this, is this person nuts? Or does she really hear from the Lord? Is this, I, I mean, I, I didn't know her that well. And when someone tells you they want to give you an organ and they want the pastor to put the stamp of approval on it, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to court on this one. But I found out she really loved Jesus and she really felt the Lord was doing this. And she stood up in front of our whole church and she told about what God had done through the process. She would have to leave work and go without income. Her family was trying to talk her out of it and sort of rejecting her through the process, saying, look, you're a single mom. You give a kidney. You're putting your own life at risk. What are you thinking about your daughter? How, how, uh, how selfish it is to your daughter. And the only people that came to her support were other believers. 
And she, she didn't feel adequate to do this. And she told a story about how God provided for her finances. She never went without. In fact, her income never went down because of all the blessings of God that poured forth because of her step of faith. And she did. She went through the process. She came over here to a hospital in uh, Seattle. They cut her open. They took out her kidney, sewed her back up, gave her kidney to a man who was about to die, who is now uh, alive and well, able to greet his incoming class as a teacher in the Seattle School District. Now, listen, I'm not asking you to give a kidney, but I do have a stomachache. No. But what is the difference that God is calling you to make? There was a young man on a beach, saw a bunch of starfish. And they had washed up. The sun was beating down on them and they were all going to die. And he was picking them up one by one and throwing them back in the ocean. And this old man comes along. What are you doing? He said. The boy said, I'm, I'm throwing these starfish back in the ocean. Why are you doing that? Said the old man. Well, because if I don't, they're going to die. The old man said, there's millions of starfish out here. How could you even think about making a difference? young boy picks up one, throws it in the ocean, turns to the old man and he says, it made a difference to that one. The difference that God is calling you to make may seem to you as simple and as small as throwing a starfish in the ocean, but never, ever underestimate the beginning of small things. Because we have an incredibly big God. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. This morning, God gave you a picture, many of you this morning, of some situation where it's not right. Your mind, you're thinking, there's a difference that needs to be made there. And you may have even said to yourself, I wish someone would go make a difference in that situation. Be careful saying things like that in your mind. Because guess who God is calling to make a difference in that situation? You never come to your pastor and say, Pastor, you know, it's not acceptable that we don't have a ministry like this. And then you start describing this ministry that should happen at this church because he's going to say to you, you're right. How can you get it started? Now, that's not to strike fear in you, but to strike faith in you to say, you know what? That holy discontent that you have, that's the beginning of a vision for a difference that God is calling you to make. And I'm going to ask you, if you see something like that, you may not even know how to do anything about it. It could be a financial situation, a relational situation. It could be a situation at school. But there is something, there is something in you that when you see that person or situation, there's something in you that either has compassion or anger or frustration, and you, you want something to happen there. I'm telling you this morning... In some way, God is calling you into that situation. Now, if you saw something like that this morning, 
that God is leading to you, I want to invite you to stand. Thank you, Jesus. 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 someone here this morning that when I said that as soon as I said that you thought of there's someone in this room that if I do that they're going to hold me accountable I know I used to be that person and I would just invite you to just look at the Lord and to stand anyway because he is calling you and he can take care of the difference thank you Jesus hallelujah Praise God. Holy Spirit, you are the one who makes the difference, and you get to use you use people like us. Uneducated, normal, regular people that you call to do absolutely amazing things. And Lord, while those are standing, and I know many of us even in this room are just processing, I pray, Holy Spirit, for your power to come and to release vision and direction and faith. And Lord, would you come and just break fear in the name of Jesus. That we would come and we would reach our community. We celebrate you and we sing to you this morning in praise and glory and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise him this morning.